So, fathers, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, it's one of those questions we ask ourselves. I don't know when we ever stop asking that. Um, I find myself still asking myself that sometimes. What, what am I going to be when I grow up? One of the best moments of our preschool graduation is uh, when we have a video segment and it has the children being interviewed, uh, and they're asked the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And we get a great answers. Uh, I remember one of my children, uh, she wanted to grow up and pick strawberries for her job. I thought, that's good. I like strawberries. Uh, and then one of my sons said, uh, well, I want to be a police officer so I can carry a gun. Um, I thought, well, that's a little bit more scary. Uh, but... Uh, you know, I think back growing up of uh, wanting to uh, be Roger Staubach, uh, quarterback. Uh, then I thought, well, maybe Emmett Smith uh, as I got older. And I thought, well, that's not happening. Uh, maybe I want to be in the Army. Um, and then I thought, well, no, I can die much too soon uh, doing things like that. And I thought, well, you know what, I, I want to be Bob DeBartolin. Uh, some of you have been around in Raleigh know who Bob DeBartolin is or Charlie Gaddy. Uh, these are the guys. I, I was weird. I watched the news every night uh, as a high schooler. Uh, and I thought, that, that, that sounds great. All you got to do is just talk and be in front of the camera. Uh, but, you know, it, it's all these revelations and as you change and, and grow up and you think, you know, I, I want to be someone else. And I remember just a number of years ago, I was just even writing in my journal and asking myself this question, what does it even look like to grow up? How do you know when you grow up? And I, I was just searching my mind, and it wasn't long after writing that question down in the journal, I was reading through Ephesians, and I came across Ephesians chapter 4, and the verses that we're going to look at this morning, and I realized, well, there it is. That's what it looks like to grow up, and it's much more full than I ever would have dreamed. So Ephesians chapter 4 uh, is the transition chapter where he, from chapter 1, 2, and 3, had talked about what it means to be the church, uh, that we are actually a temple, we are a place where God dwells among us as believers, and he's working among us. In fact, he tells us that we are stones built upon one another, uh, and that we are different as a community in the world that we live in. And so consequently, we pray. We pray that God's love would fill our hearts and that we would come to know how great God's love is for us, that we could be the church that God has called us to be. And in chapter 4, he says, in light of that, walk worthy of the manner in which God has called you. And he showed us what that is, to walk worthy of being this church, this, this temple, this dwelling place, this community where God's presence is unique and special uh, what does that look like? Well, in verses 1 through 16, it looks unified. It looks like a group that is united by much more than what divides them, by a, a God, uh, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It starts with God the Holy Spirit because that's where He works with us through the Holy Spirit. And as we see uh, verses 4, 5, and 6, the Spirit uh, bringing us one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, this being in Christ. God the Son, and then God the Father, who's ever all, through all, and in all, including the church, as we see this uh, given out, that the church, God is over the church, through the church, in the church, and so it matters what we do in submitting to God the Father as He is over this church. And, 
and to understand that God can work through the church because God is in the church working through it and that how we treat one another matters because God is in the church and he responds to us and how we treat one another. And so we talk about uh, how God's gifted the church with various um, roles and, and see in verse 11 you see these leadership roles of, of uh, first the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all of these have unique teaching roles in the history of the church. We talked about how uh, the apostles was something unique and setting up the doctrine, setting up uh, what we know as these being sent out by Jesus, being in the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit laying upon them the foundation of what the church would be from that point on. The prophets that God had used to uh, equip the church to prepare them for the work that's happening and, and even knowing in advance uh, through the word of God what is to come. And we've seen that happen in, in the book of Acts. We keep on going and we see that there's this, this role of the evangelist, that God has gifted the church with people who have the uh, fruitful ministry of seeing people come to know the Lord and to pray for evangelists to be in our church and that all of us are called to share the good news. But there are some God is blessed uh, and bringing people to the Lord. And so we want to see that. And then there's the, the pastor teacher that God has gifts to the church. These people who have unique abilities in explaining the word of God in a way that we can get it and understand and apply it to our life and to teach doctrine. And, and so all these things have the, the role of the word of God. And then we go on and, and we're going to pick up really with verse 13 through 16 and we're going to uh, capture this last unit of unity uh, and being walking worthy of who God has called us to be. So I'm going to ask that we stand as we read together Ephesians chapter 4 in honor of this being God's word. Uh, we're going to look specifically uh, verse 13, 14, 15, 16. But let's we'll start with reading uh, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood. So dads, there you have it, mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which is, it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You may be seated. Have you ever thought about what it's like for Jesus to grow up? As we read this passage, it tells us very clearly that growing up is to be like Jesus. That is mature in every way, being Christ-like. Then consider the fact that for God to help us to grow up, he became a baby. Isn't that crazy? For us to grow up, God the Father became a baby. This, this thing called incarnation. I, there's a song that I've been thinking about a lot as I've been thinking about with this idea of growing up. 
referring to Jesus saying, You was a baby like I was once. You were crying in the early morning. You were born in a stable, Lord. Reed Memorial is where I was born. They wrapped you in swaddling clothes. Me, they dressed in baby blue. But I was 12 years old in the meeting house listening to the old man pray. And I was trying hard to figure out what it was they were trying to say. There you were in the temple. They said you weren't old enough to know the things you knew. Well, did you grow up hungry? Did you grow up fast? Did the little girls giggle when you walked past? Do you wonder what it was that made them laugh? And did they tell you stories about the saints of old, stories about their faith? They say stories like that make a man grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. And you was a boy like I was once, but was you a boy like me? I grew up around Indiana. You grew up around Galilee. If I ever really do grow up, Lord, I want to grow up and be just like you. Did you wrestle with a dog and lick his nose? Did you play beneath the spray of a water hose? Did you ever make angels in the winter snow? Did they tell you stories about the saints of old, stories about the faith? They say stories like that make a boy grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. Did you ever get scared playing hide and seek? Did you ever try not to cry when you scraped your knee? Did you ever skip a rock across a quiet creek? Did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith. I really may just grow up and be like you someday. I read that song and it lets me know that there is within every one of our hearts a desire to always ask that question. I want to grow up. I want to grow up. So for those of us who are in the 40s and you're still asking that question, what does it look like to grow up? It's to say there is still something in front of us. And when we're in our 80s and our 90s, there is still within this word of God a scripture that says to us there is going to be a day that we grow up. We're not there yet so just bear with us until we grow up and so this is the idea what does it mean to do this it means to be christ-like but first of all it's to say that god has gifted the church to help us grow up and this is one thing that struck me is i have this individualistic american idea that i've got to grow up on my own it's on me it's my personal resolve it's my discipline it's my uh things that i put into my life that that will grow up and I want to be a self-made man but as I read this passage it tells me that we grow up in Christ but we do this with the help of the church and that's the part that it's American that revolts against the idea that I have to be a part of a community of faith to help me grow up can you read that passage and, and get another conclusion from that that the community of faith becomes indispensable by God's spirit to help us grow up. Because I don't just do it on my own. I can't do it in isolation. I have to do it with people. And the working with them and they working with me. And so we come to this as we read in verse 12 and 13. That God has gifted these certain people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith. Until we all attain to mature manage, manhood until the stature of the fullness of Christ. So, first of all, as we look at this as a church and how we operate as a church being unified, let the pastors equip the believers to serve. Let the pastors equip the believers to serve. That this is a, a, a part of helping the church grow up is that there are certain tasks, certain uh, pastors, certain people that God's given to this church that is going to help us as a church grow up. Now, what does that look like, helping the pastors equip the believers to serve? If we go ahead and and roll with the screen so everyone can can get that visual there. 
uh, to equip is to furnish the saints for the work of ministry. It has this medical term of, of setting the bones straight in the church and heading, heading, helping things get lined up, but not just lined up any way, but lined up with the Word of God for building up the body of Christ. So uh, when we are working together is to teach the Word of God. And I'm going to say to you that a primary method, primary task and pastors and equipping is the use and teaching of God's word. The use and teaching of God's word. You can see this all throughout this passage. First of all, it's using verse 11, these who are instrumental in the word of God, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. And so theirs is to handle the word of God. We keep on reading we see in verse 13 that we're attaining to the knowledge of the Son of God. So it has something to do with what we learn about who God is. Let me just share with you that one of my main goals and when I explain a passage is to help you to see who God is. I don't want it to be a, a do better, be better sermon where you walk out thinking, okay, I got to do better, I got to be better. Uh, you can get that in any moral lesson. But the goal here is to teach you this is who Christ is. This is who God is so that you can trust him and in trusting him that you can obey. And so the goal is to increase in the knowledge of God. You see that in verse 13. We go to verse 14. Verse 14 expresses the same idea of verse 13 but in a negative way. But it still again applies, implies the understanding knowing of doctrine. So when we don't have the doctrine, we don't have equipping of the Word of God, then the tendency is that we can be like children. We don't want to be like children who are tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. I'm not necessarily focusing on all the different alternate ways of understanding who Jesus Christ is. <clears throat> I just want to focus on what the Bible teaches, on who Jesus Christ is. It's, it's kind of like you've heard the whole idea of those who study and know how to detect counterfeit money. They learn to detect counterfeit money by studying the original, studying what is authentic, and so then quickly be able to discern the differences between the counterfeit and the authentic. The idea here is to keep teaching the, idea, the system of belief of who Jesus is and what does it mean to follow him so that we don't follow down paths that's contrary one of the things that's hit me is that our families are constantly bombarded with what normal is. Do you realize that? The amount of screen time equals how much someone other than yourself is teaching your children what normal is. Every sitcom, every show, every YouTube video is teaching this is what normal is. And we've got to ask ourselves, is that really what the Bible says what normal is? Is that what Jesus says what normal is? And so we've got to understand that there's a constant teaching that's going to go on. And if we don't insert the Word of God into who we are, who we, what we're thinking, then we can't ever detect what's false, what's false reality. And so verse 14 is the negative of this idea. Verse 15, what, what's the idea of these ministers doing? Well, they're speaking truth and love. Again, you see the idea of using the Word of God, being constantly aware of the Word of God, and equipping the saints, that's you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Bible's calling you a saint, so that you know who Jesus is, you know what 
uh, what he has said about God. You know what it means to have faith, to trust in him, and so that you can minister and serve. And as the church serves, then the body is being built up. And so let the pastors equip the believers in order to serve, which means that there's got to be someone focused on studying, teaching, reading the Word of God. That's one equation of this. Is setting aside someone to do that. Here's the second equation. It says, let the pastors equip the believers. So, you are letting me equip you by just being here. By just sitting here. Being in the presence of saying some, some way I can understand more of who God's word, of what God's word is. So when we say let the pastors quit the believers in order to serve, it means that you as a believer say, how can I make priority times when I will be equipped? When the church offers opportunity to be equipped in ministry, equipped in knowledge of who Christ is, will I make it a priority of being there? That's on all of us, isn't it? But that's also a part of it. You can say that this is great, that God's given apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. But if you're not here, then it's not great. It's a a two-way street. Someone teaching and someone saying, I'm going to listen to apply and learning how to make this a part of my life. Let's keep on reading. So let the pastors equip the believers to serve. But as we keep on reading, we we get down into 12 to 13. We're going to understand something else. Personal growth leads into church growth. Personal growth leads into church growth. And church growth leads into personal growth. So we have, uh, <clears throat> I've been working out with a group of guys uh, for the last couple of years. And I've uh, been doing it now to two to sometimes three times a week with them. And so you get, <clears throat> you get used to working out with these guys. But uh, any given week we might have someone new come in. And they're just trying to get used to it. Uh, and so, inevitably, uh, they don't feel so great in the middle of the workout. Uh, they uh, say, like, I, I just need a rest, or uh, I need some water, or I'm about to throw up, or, you know, they have their things. And, and so one of the things that we try to do is, is that when we see someone lagging behind, that those who are more uh, able, more uh, ready for the workout, and adjusted to it, they go back and swing back so that no one's ever left behind. To say, we're going to come alongside of you and be with you and help you get through this workout so you're not doing this by yourself. The idea spiritually is that as we come together, that there is a, a, a mingling together, a dependence on one another, that we don't just grow in Christ because, man, that looks really good to say, I'm more Christ-like or I know more things about Christ. That is Not at all the purpose. The purpose of our spiritual growth is to grow Christ-like, but also to pour into the people around us. Uh, And so, going on to to the next idea here, uh, is personal growth is to lead into church growth. Church growth leads into personal growth. And so, uh, there's there's some trees that are in America that's kind of notorious. If you've ever heard of the redwood tree, the sequoias, uh, they are easily the most massive tree that you can ever see. And one thing you may not know is that you don't ever see the tree by itself. These massive trees always grow in a grove. We've got some pictures, if you can uh, look at uh, some of these, just a, an idea of just how massive these trees are. 
they, uh, they are, some of them are so big, of course, you can drive a vehicle through uh, the trunk of one of these. Uh, there's uh, just incredible uh, size to these. But what you don't know, maybe, is that these trees lack a taproot. They don't have a taproot to go deep into the ground. In fact, the roots of these trees only go as far deep as about eight feet, no further. And they stay fairly close to the topsoil. In fact, if you trample the topsoil around the tree, it will kill the tree because it gets its nutrients from the surface levels. So how can you have these massive trees without a taproot? Well, the way their root system works is they spread out and find the other roots. And they intermingle underground So they are tied together. So no matter if you are a massive tree or just a sapling grower, that same sapling taps right into the root system of the massive trees. And so that little sapling has the support of these these massive trees and the shelter of those limbs. And so when the winds come and the storms come, it has the shelter of all the big trees around it with the root system all around. So when the droughts come, they tap into the common root system of everybody and those trees. I thought that is what a wonderful picture of who we are to be as a church. That we individually and collectively tap into the Holy Spirit that we surrender to Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit and His gifting allows us to minister. And so the the sap, if you will, of His life comes through us and that the fruit of our life benefits the church itself and benefits the world at large so that they can get exposed to the life of Christ. And storms may come individually in our life. But when you've got the believers around you to pray with you and to love with you, to grieve with you, to rejoice with you, to give you confrontation and rebuke and correction as needed or encouragement, you've got people around you. And that's why it's so important for us as a church to be able to have relationships because I'm just going to say that sitting in a pew on Sunday at 10.30 to 11-something, 11.45, doesn't mean that your roots are intermingling with the church. What we're talking about here is relationships. Not just sitting in a common spot on a common Sunday once or twice a month. If that is how you define church, you've not entered into the church. It is, by and large, a relationship where we are working and praying and loving with one another. And there will be times when you'll see someone fall away from Christ. And maybe they're not even aware. And that's where you come and pray and challenge them and encourage them and show them the way to go. Because we all need that at some point. And so as you grow personally, the personal growth is meant to benefit the church growth. And when the church grows, it leads to personal growth. And so that's why we are invested in saying we want to see our church spiritually get nourished and dependent on Jesus Christ. We don't want to be driven by just uh, the styles and trends of the day, but we want to be driven by who Christ is and what his truth is and find out what are the essentials and make sure they stay essential because my growth is dependent, your growth is dependent. Have you come to terms 
That when someone else in your church body is spiritually hurting, then you are spiritually hurting as well. This is what is being brought out in this passage as we read this together, that we all, notice verse 13, we all attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. It doesn't say we individually, but we all attain to that. We work together in doing that. Verse 15, that's why we speak truth in love to one another. We are groping every way into Him who is the head in Christ. So that's why verse 16, the whole body is joined and held together. We're interdependent on one another. So personal growth leads to church growth. Church growth leads into personal growth. Until we all equal that mature manhood, which is another way of saying that we are made in His image, Christ-like. So that means sometimes we have to deal with people we would not normally choose. It's the thing about family reunions, isn't it? You, you hang out with people you never normally would hang out. You, know, you, you sit down to eat lunch with someone that you think, I don't really have anything in common except we've got some genetic pull together. But yet, nonetheless, we do it. Because mama said to come, you know, so we do. Our dad said you better be there. Well, here... In a church, there is a, a spiritual root that brings you with people that you would not maybe normally be with. But now as we've read in Ephesians chapter 2, that God is breaking down every hostility between us because of Jesus Christ. Some of you have heard about Southern Baptist Convention. kind of got a little bit oppressed with uh, the wanting to rebuke the alternate right political party. The basis behind that is because they saw a racism, a nationalism that was devoid of Christ. And devoid of love and devoid of charity. Devoid of saying we can be united in Christ. Why, why would someone do that? Because of Ephesians 2. Because of Ephesians 3, Ephesians 4. To say that we are to be brought together in Christ. Now we keep on reading. If all this is true, verse 3 Verse 13 and 14, church activity is directly connected with growing in Christ-likeness. If, if this is true, then all of our church activity should be directly connected with growing in Christ-likeness. So, have you thought, church can be so extremely busy? Have you ever had that thought? I mean, just, just look at the bulletin. I mean, you, you open a bulletin and it, it's always filled uh, with things that occupy time. I mean, I, I look at these, and almost every single one of these occupy time. A day of a week. And just in case we can't figure it out, we've got a calendar breaks down what's happening when. But what's the point of all that activity? If all that activity isn't producing within us, as a church, I'm growing more Christ-likeness, then something is off. It could be the activity. It could be the direction. It could be our hearts. A number of things. But church activity is to be directly connected with growing in Christ. If this is the point of us, is that we help each other grow in Christ-likeness, then church activity, if it's done well, done right, should help us become more Christ-like. And that's the question now, isn't it? And it should be a question that perhaps examines what we do. Just looking through our bulletin here, we've got VBS training, 
What's the point of VBS? Well, it's to make a difference in our children, in our community, and our families to teach them the hope of Christ. Well, we've got a youth retreat coming up. We've got students leaving tomorrow. Going to be going to Myrtle Beach through Friday. Uh, Student life camp, the emphasis on it is the Word of God. We're going to pray that the student life camp isn't just fun, but also helps the student become more Christ-like. We've got a friendship tea, a brotherhood fellowship and supper. We've got some uh, socials here. And one of the things we can ask is, are the socials helping us become Christ-like? That's got to be a criteria in the leadership of what we do. We've got uh, Women's Summer Studies, Lunch Bunch Bible Study, Grip by the Greatness of God, Missional Motherhood, Study on Prayer. These should be helping us, equipping us to be Christ-like in our work so we can serve better. The singer, singer, <laughs> Senior Singers Fall Choir Tour. What are we going to pray for? We're going to pray that that would be a time where disciples are made to become more Christ-like. A new ministry starting. I, this is something I'm proud of. But we've got um, Carolyn Swicegood and Carol Ross. They've been working on the food pantry. Food pantry is a weekly ministry that comes here every Wednesday. Folks come uh, for that. But now, as you see, they're being able to start a Bible study. That That is starting to leverage into some people that are saying, Hey, we want you to speak into our lives the Word of God. That is an answer to prayer. And we're going to pray that it can help people become Christ-like. So when we look through this, we're going to ask ourselves, are the things we're doing helping us become Christ-like? Every activity should be directly connected with growing in Christ-likeness. So let me ask you this question. As we look over this last year, are we really reaching the end for all of this busyness you know busyness by itself is not necessarily good but is the busyness producing fruit are we actually becoming christ-like is there real character change that you can look at over the years is there real spiritual development are you looking more like christ are you thinking more like christ are you less irritable are you less irritable than you were a couple years ago? Uh, just so in case you were wondering, irritableness is not Christ-likeness, all right? <laughs> just in case we're confused. Is it having that effect? Are we worrying less? Worrying is something Jesus said is sinful. It's not trusting God. Are we more patient? Are we less proud? Are we less conceited? Do we have more of a servant heart? Are we a a better listener? Are we more honest than we were a year ago? These are some things that we look at as measurements of what Christ-likeness looks like and is there an effect in our life. And so we keep on reading verse 15, rather speaking the truth in love. This is how we... Do you know that's singing too? When we sing... Are we singing truth and are we singing it in love? A love of God and a love of one another. That's part of our speaking truth and love. 
but is the benchmark for what Christ is calling us to do to one another as well as to the world, to speak truth and love. And so many times, don't we mess it up? We get one or the other? It's interesting, when you separate love, Christ calls it worthless. In fact, Paul, in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about all these spiritual gifts the church can have. And then 1 Corinthians 13, he says, but if you, if you can prophesy uh, and you can, do, you can speak like an angel and you can give, but you have not love, and you're just wasting our time. That's how he summed it up. First, uh, in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is again telling us to, to put on compassionate hearts, to be humble and meek. Patient, bearing with one another. If anyone has a grievance with one another, forgiving them as Christ has forgiven us, so let us also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in harmony. So if we're not loving, then we're missing it out. So this brings us to the fourth observation of this text. Growing in Christ-likeness in every way is growing up. So as dads, as men, as we're looking at it and thinking, what does it mean to grow up? As we look at our children and say, what does it mean for our children to grow up? It's not just whether or not they can drive. It's not whether or not they can just hold down a job. It's not just whether or not they can uh, have a family. Dads, let's pray that they would grow up by being Christ-like in every way, which means for us to grow Christ-like in every way. You see that? It's very specific there, every way. Verse 15, who is the head into Christ, which means that there has to be in every area of our life a willingness for God to cross our will. We cannot grow up in Christ-likeness as separate with the idea of God crossing our will. Otherwise, it'd be just making God in our own image. If, if you're not seeing how God is asking you to surrender something, asking you to cross your will, then I doubt very seriously you've come in contact with God talking to you. Are, you, are we just so holy that we don't have to change in all our areas? The more likely scenario is that we try to make God in our own image. Where we say, I can follow God and also enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season and think somehow they're compatible. They're not. We are deceiving ourselves. That cannot be both together. And so when we talk about in every way, that there is a Holy Spirit working in your life. And sometimes he's going to use the church to bring it to our attention. To say, did you know that in this area, you, you, you might be blind to something. And the church helps us see how we might be blind through other people to something that we need. The Holy Spirit working in our life in. And so we ask ourselves, when it brings to our attention, God, would you help me grow in that way too? And that is growing up. And so when I'm 85, if I live to be that long, if, I, if God allows me the grace to be as old as, as Mr. JT and others here, there is always still something within them through the Holy Spirit saying, grow up. Let's grow up into these areas. And the church works together to do that. There's another song 
I've come to love is called growing young. Growing young. I've gone so far from my home. I've seen the world and I've known so many secrets I wish now I did not know. Because they've crept into my heart. They have left it cold and dark and bleeding and bleeding and falling apart. And everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. I've been around enough to know that that was the lie. That held back the tears in the eyes of a thousand prodigal sons. But we are children no more. We have sinned and grown old. And our father still waits. And he watches down the road. Just seeing the crying boys come running back to his arms. And be growing young. Growing young. I've seen silver turn to dross. Seen the very best there ever was. And I'll tell you, it ain't worth what it cost. And I remember my father's house and what I wouldn't give right now just to see him and hear him tell me that he loves me so much. And everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. Well, I've been around enough to know that was the lie. They held back the tears of a thousand prodigal sons. Well, we are children no more. We've sinned and grown old. And our father still waits. He watches down the road to see the crying boys come running back to his arm. And when I thought I was all alone, it was your voice I heard call me back home. And I wonder now, Lord, what it was that made me wait so long. What kept you waiting for me all that time? Was your love stronger than my foolish pride? Will you take me back now? Take me back and let me be your child? Because I've been broken now. I've been saved. I've learned to cry. I've learned how to pray. I've learned, and I'm learning even now, I can be changed. And everybody used to tell me, big boys don't cry. Well, I've learned enough that was a lie. And they held back the tears in the eyes of a thousand prodigal sons. We are the children no more. We've sinned and grown old. And our father still waits and he watches down the road to see the crying boys come running back to his arms and be growing young. Growing young. Let our church be the community which God calls to every single one of us through one another, in one another. Come back to the father. Come back to the father. His love and mercy is greater than our pride and conceit. Let us know what it is to grow young, to grow Christ-like, and to grow together. Let's pray. Father, these your words that we've read here this morning. And Lord, these are words not spoken by just man's working alone. These are words that come from you. And these words are your work in our life. Your words tell us that there are people you've called to teach and explain the word of God. and You've called us to do so, Lord, and let me do so and others do so as unto you working in fear of who you are, that these are powerful words and we don't want to mess them up. And Lord, let us as a church to so regard your words that we look for and and long for times to be equipped and explained your word, that we might know your word and apply it to our life and share it with others. And that as we learn your word, that we would do your work of ministry. And as we do the work of ministry, that this body may be built up by you and to you until we all attain the unity of faith and knowledge of your Son, 
till we all attain to mature manhood, till we all attain to the measure, the stature, the fullness of your Son, Jesus, Lord, till we all attain to unity of faith, knowledge of who you are. That we would not be like children that quickly are deceived, going from here to there, but instead that we would speak truth and love to one another and grow up in every way, Lord, to Him who you've called to be the head of this church. And Lord, that we would respond to you as the head and not go out in spasmatic seizures working against you, our head. From you, the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which you've equipped it. We would work properly together. Help us make the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That people that come to be a part of this church body does so because it's been built up in love of Jesus, love of one another. Those who come, though they may know very little of you, would long to know you because of the relationships that you're working in and through us, Lord. We ask this because we can't do it on our own. We need you to do it. And your Holy Spirit, help us to grow young grow in you. We pray this in your name.